0: The question is, are you ready? This is The Drive with Josh Graham. i walking here. On Sports Hub Triad. You are
1: on a Monday drive where the NBA finals have completely flipped. And we're one bucks away. One bucks win away, excuse me. From Giannis's crowning moment as the best player in the sport. That's not An overstatement. It's not an overreaction. It's been a progression over the last four or five years. He became an all star in 17 and 18. His first all NBA team in 19. That's when he won his first of back to back MVPs. Then this season, he's taken Milwaukee to the finals and he's put the team on his back. Even when he's not shooting the ball well, he's doing a lot of different things. It's the mark of a superstar. When you're not scoring, what else can you do to will your team to wins? It's impressive. But there's a bigger story playing out with Giannis. As the NBA is changing into this beyond-the-arc shooting league, Giannis is dominating the sport as a throwback superstar. Think about it in these terms. He is the evolution of the power forward position. The knock-on foreign players. For the last 30 years, it used to be a weird thing when you'd see foreign players playing in the NBA, but the knock on them always was. They're finesse. They're soft. And you might be thinking, Josh, well, that's something we got past in the 90s. That's not certainly something we really talked about much at the turn of the century. I don't think that's true. Even this past year, that was the knock on Jokic. Jokic was a deserving MVP. I'm not taking anything away from him. But he is a finesse player. And so was Dirk Nowitzki when he played. So there's always been this knock on foreign players. Oh, they're not tough. They're not the type to bully you inside and to be these dominant interior threats. And Giannis, of course, has been exactly that. Giannis is the modern-day Shaq. The last MVP award winner to shoot less than 70% from the free throw line in his career and shoot under 30% from three is Shaq. You have to go all the way back to the early 2000s. Tim Duncan's close to checking that box too, but I don't think Timmy D is a great comparison because there's still so much to Giannis that's raw, and that's a result of somebody who came to basketball pretty late. If you do want to make the Duncan comparison, it's just sheer dominance in the post and also being late to the game with basketball. Timmy D at in the Virgin Islands his story is pretty noteworthy, well documented, and Giannis's as well. This is just sheer physicality, sheer brute force that nobody else can stop. It is a throwback superstar that we haven't seen in a very long time. And I didn't know we were still making in the NBA today. I'm glad to see it. Another thing I've been glad to see, how loyal Giannis is to Milwaukee. Loyalty is something that's been lost in the player empowerment age. When the Bucs got eliminated from the second round last year, the conversation immediately became, well, next year he's going to be a free agent. He might join the Miami Heat. Or he might join the Lakers. Or he might join the Golden State Warriors. You fill in the blank. Because that's normally how we think of things now. That's, uh, that's become the norm. Where are you going to jump? Guys are moving all across the league. Guys are forcing out Anthony Davis, James Harden, Kyrie Irving. Not Giannis. Giannis re-upped at the low point of his career to this point, Five years with the Milwaukee Bucks. He could have been a free agent this summer. The humility, it's pure, it's obvious, it's in your face. His IG Live videos, the stuff we see on social media. There's this video. The two best things I saw on Saturday was this video of a five, six-year-old girl waiting in line to see Giannis, her favorite athlete, and giving him some drawings that she did. Giannis gets up, gives her a hug, then talks to her a little bit, then takes the time to look at all the drawings, gives her another hug, takes a video, and you could just see the humility is pretty pure there. Then there was this press conference in between games four and five where Giannis was asked about his mindset when he's having success, winning a couple games in a row, winning a couple of MVPs. And what's amazing about this to me, Robert, Robert Walsh, the producer of this show, Cole's just beaming today, our intern, as our resident Bucks fan in the building. This is his second language. English is his second language. Yet he's able to communicate some of the wisest things I heard over the weekend. And if you haven't heard it, we'll play some of it for you now. This is, again, when he was asked about how he views success relative to a series, relative to his career, relative to life. When you focus on the past that's your ego i did this you know um we were able to you know um uh, beat this team for all we, we did the, i did this in the past i won that in the past right. and when i focus in the future is my pride like yeah next game game five i do this and this and this right. you know i'm going down that's your pride target. like you it doesn't happen like you're right here and um I kind of like try to focus in the you know in the moment in the present, and that's humility. That's being humble. That's not setting no expectation. That's going out there and enjoying the game, competing at a high level. So, those were my two favorite things I saw on the weekend. I saw them both on Saturday, and that was before Game Five was played. Then you have this career-defining highlight where Drew Holiday rips the ball away from Booker. You have the lob, Chris Paul, with some curious hand placement on that foul. Giannis slams it home, and he already had another one of those career-defining highlights in Game 4 with a block that I don't think was more important than the block LeBron James had in Game 7 of that 2016 final. But it was more athletically impressive. He's taken this next step in his career. And if he wins this, he is unquestionably the best player in the sport. And if you would have told me a few years ago, just a couple years back, that the best player in the sport consistently would be a guy who can't hit threes consistently, who would struggle at the free throw line as much as Giannis had, I'd say given the direction the game's going in, that wouldn't be possible. But Giannis... He's having his moment as a throwback superstar. And it's great to see. Meanwhile, in golf, can we please stop comparing promising young golfers to Tiger Woods? It's not fair. It's not accurate. And it really does nobody any favors. I'm talking about stats like this one. And it happens so often when guys win under the age of 25. This stat appears. Kala Morikawa joins Tiger Woods as the only golfers under the age of 25 to win both the British Open and the U.S. Open. Wow, that sounds like an amazing stat. Some are saying he might be the next. Eh, I'm not going to say Tiger Woods, but they're both from California, played college ball in Northern Cal, different schools, Cal and Stanford. Eh, look at this stat. It might put them together. Completely disregarding that by the time Tiger was 25 years old, he had won some of the majors multiple times, and he had already won all four of them. There's never going to be another Tiger Woods. Ever. Let's stop right there. When Michael Jordan was retiring, we were wondering, who's the next Jordan going to be? And there's never been another Michael Jordan. And there never will be another Michael Jordan. I know some of you might be thinking Kobe, but not quite the same level, magnitude, fame, you name it. LeBron James, enjoy what you're watching right now. Because when LeBron retires, there's not going to be another LeBron James. It doesn't mean the sport is going to suffer in a major way, but it is, I think, a fact. You're not going to have another LeBron moving forward. There's not going to be another Tiger Woods. So, as great as it was watching Kalamurakawa yesterday, I'm just hoping we're not setting a l- too high of expectations for him as his career's just starting to blossom. Jordan Speef, who finished second, the runner-up, his career should be a cautionary tale for Kalamurakawa. Because Jordan Speef was Kalamurakawa just a few years ago. At 21 years old, you might remember. Jordan won the Masters and the U.S. Open and finished second in the PGA. In the same year, he became the world's number one player. A few years later, he wins the British Open. And after winning the Open, his career cratered. He was the last American until Morikawa to win this event. That was in 2017. And then after that, his career cratered. And after this calendar or last calendar year, 2020, he was the number 82 player in the world. After being the world's number one just a few years before, Jordan Spieth is 27 years old, and now he's building himself back up. He's the 14th best player in the world. But just a few years ago, we build it. I remember the comparisons. Hey, look what Spieth's doing under the age of 25. Eh, it's Tiger-like stuff. It's doing nobody any favors. I hope this is not the case for Colin Murakawa. I hope that. But I just thought it was so fitting in this major to see Morikawa win it when Jordan Spieth won it in 2017. He was seen to be this guy who's the number one player in the world, one of the best. He's under the age of 25, and his career cratered at that point. It should be a cautionary tale to Morikawa. With that being said, American golf's in a great place. There's a lot of variety. It's in the best place I can remember since the huge Tiger boom Really, in the last 10 years, I think this is the best place American golf's been in. A lot of variety. You've got young personalities, such as Spieth and Justin Thomas, both in their 20s. You've got a feud, which always drives things, like Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau have. This is all just in the top 15 of the world golf ranking. You've got just clinical, non-sexy, take care of their business type golfers like DJ and Morikawa, and that's what's pushing the sport into the future. The future of American golf, those are the guys that we're turning to. It's a great place to be in, and yesterday was a great example of what American golf can look like at its best on a link course. We've got Brian Geisinger who's going to join us in about 15 minutes. We'll play out precise the guys a little bit earlier on. Than we normally do. But before we do that, a noteworthy Carolina Panther announced his retirement this weekend. We'll reflect on his career next on the drive. To
0: this guy. Hour after hour. What is this the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports?
1: So Robert has taken offense to my movie villain list that included Darth Vader, Hannibal Lecter, the Joker, Michael Myers, and Hans Gruber, with the argument that, with his argument being, many of those villains are too cool to be considered one of the top villains. Villains are not supposed to have redeemable qualities. You're supposed to just flat-out hate those guys, and there are people that do not hate Darth Vader or the Joker or even Hans Gruber to a degree. So Robert is putting together his own list that maybe we could revisit later, but BG, Brian Geisiger joining us from ACC Sports, before we get into the basketball, is this a fair argument back from Robert that these villains are too cool for school, so to speak?
2: Well, isn't like that the thing with villains, that they, they can be kind of cool? At least when we're thinking about cinema, I mean... It's not even like an anti-hero thing, in the sense of how they're actually labeled in the movie, but because they are so cool, whether like, you know, it's Darth Vader and the suit looks cool, or they have cool abilities or whatever. Like, I, you might be hard pressed to find like a, like a well-known villain that's like truly despised. Do you Ro- know what I mean? Yeah, Robert Walsh.
1: The- Robert Walsh is swaggering right now. He is confident. He could find five for you.
2: All right, I like to hear that. What about uh, sports? Do we have any sports villains? Oh, wow. Sports
1: villains. Do we have any in this series? Because Bella? Julius, H- depending on how you view Chris Paul, he might be. Julius Hodge, I think, views him that way.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> it's the only reason people remember Julius Hodge. Whoa! So, Oh, uh, you know. <laughs> Whoa! He's the one who brings it up more than anyone else. Literally, no one else brings it up, but but Julius Hodge does certainly seem to find a way to constantly bring up uh, what happened with Chris Paul uh, almost 20 years ago. Transition.
1: That's a pretty good transition on BG's part.
2: Are the Milwaukee Bucks?
1: I want to be fair to them. I want to be as fair as I can be. But so I don't mean this question as disrespectful to the Bucks, but I'll still pose it to you. Are the Bucks the better team in this series?
2: It's well, it's really close. Um, I mean, it, the the margins in this series have been incredibly tight, regardless of location. Um, the last couple of games have come down to coin flips. I think if you look back over the last thirty years of NBA's finals, you'd be hard pressed to find like a more competitive and sort of like evenly fought series. Like the teams, they they match up well. The talent levels are close. The one thing is, like the kicker is, um, you know, Milwaukee has the best player in the series with Giannis, and he's playing, he's playing like that. Um, you know, I would say that the Suns have probably the, you know, the two best guards in the series, um, but 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 Milwaukee does have the, you know, the trump card in a way because they have a guy in Giannis who is the best player in the series. Um, if he's not the best player in the world, he's at least making a worthy case for it right now and um, he's playing in a way where he is really playing to his strengths more than probably he ever has before in his entire career, you know? Oh, yeah. And uh, that sort of him, that happening as he's sort of like sensing the moment uh, on both ends of the court is pretty spectacular.
1: Follow him on Twitter at BG underscore bird for all his NBA hoop analysis, ACC as well, and we've got the NBA draft coming up, not this week. But next week, BG, what do you feel comfortable saying first, based on the first five games of this series, is going to happen tomorrow night? What do you feel comfortable oh. saying is going to translate?
2: As, as someone, as a Chris Paul partisan who would who would very much like to see him win a title, uh, I'll be honest. I'm I'm uh, I'm you know I try to look at these things pretty objectively, but I am uh, I am like leaking confidence currently at the at the. Um, at the moment, I mean, I look, like, I think Phoenix can, can certainly win on the road. I mean, they almost won game four in Milwaukee a couple days ago. I expect another, uh, you know, another incredibly physical, hard-fought game. Um, you know, we'll see if Chris can sort of, like, slice down the turnovers a little bit, which have been a bit of an issue. We'll see if um, he can do a better job holding up defensively. I thought Milwaukee did a nice job getting him switched out onto Chris Middleton and and Middleton got cooking in that game. I mean, I don't think drew holiday and and Chris Middleton can shoot quite like they did um, in, in game uh, game five, when they were really just like truly incredible as, as pull-up shooters uh, in that game. But, you know, I expect those guys to keep playing well holiday to keep bringing really good defense. And I just think for, if Phoenix is going to like force a game seven, get this thing back to Phoenix, like you need, a-level performances from Booker and from Paul. You need spot-up corner three-point shooting from guys like Crowder and Cam Johnson, who's been great this series. You need Michael Bridges to give you like a legit big-time two-way performance because he's sort of gone missing at times. Um, not really through any fault of his own. I think Phoenix, which has a pretty pretty well-balanced and, and intricate spread offense. I just think they've stopped scoring system buckets almost entirely the last couple of games, and just everything has turned into Booker, Paul, uh, you know, spread pick and roll, or, or ISO. So um, I am sure it is going to be a, a crazy game uh, with with one team, you know, fighting for a title, and, and one just trying to hold off and see if they can get it back to their own building. But um, I think it's going to be frenzied and chaotic. Um, I'm hopeful that uh, Phoenix can pull off a of game seven, but um, it, it really feels like Milwaukee has figured a lot of different stuff out and Giannis is covering up all of their other mistakes in Phoenix has some counters, but they're gonna be they're gonna be hard to get to against a, a really, really good uh Bucks defense. We're
1: gonna be in uptown Charlotte in a hotel bar watching Milwaukee play tomorrow night. We'll see if they win the title a little bit earlier than we usually do it, but I'm sure it's not gonna lack for quality. We play out precise the guys.
0: Brian Geisinger is a basketball genius. Josh Graham, uh, is not. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. Listen as Brian launches half court shots and Josh, well, double dribbles all over himself. And there's nothing you can do about it. Get off the bench and try to out-precise the Geiss.
3: All right, guys, the NBA season is winding down, so you guessed it. We're going to go over the new Space Jam movie's box score, and I'm going to quiz you guys on that. Wile E. Coyote scored how many points? Uh, Just kidding. We're going to do the finals. Oh, box score or box office? Uh, Box score, but uh, we're not not going to talk about it either way. Uh, We're going to go to the finals, and first thing I want to look at is the comparison of last year's finals to this year's finals. And when I looked at the points scored last year to this year, I was pretty surprised uh, how many more points have been scored in this year's finals than last year's. So 2020 total points, like if the Lakers beat the Heat 108 to 111, every score added up, how many total points were scored this year compared to last year, more points this year than last year.
1: Okay, so So, there are more points this year than last year. That's surprising to me considering sight lines Mm -hmm. and
2: such. That and also the, the finals last season, they played six games. And we've only played uh, you know five by this point, too. So that's is, that is interesting. With one fewer game, there have been more points in the finals this year. So
1: combined points, that's what you want, more than last year's I, I just
3: need to know the difference. There are definitely more points scored this year. Okay. What is the difference between
2: last year and this year? Okay. I All got right. a number
1: written down here. What do you got, PG? Uh,
2: this is a tough one. Um... I will go uh, 40. I've got 21 written down.
3: There were 1,073 points scored in 2020. Already this year, there are 1123. So that's 50 more points flat this year right. than last year, which you guys already brought it up. One less game, it's kind of crazy, especially considering like you would think that last year two powerhouses offensively would score more points. But... Here we are. I thought that was an interesting fact. That is interesting. That is.
2: That is I'm guessing that's like, um, you know, maybe two slower teams with uh, like the Heat last season. Sure. Plus, they were a little depleted in terms of some of their personnel against a really good Lakers defense. So um, it probably comes down to like possessions too, honestly.
3: Right now. And number two, right now, Giannis is the favorite to win finals MVP if the Bucks did win. Uh, last year's MVP, LeBron, he averaged. 29.8 points, 11.8 rebounds, and 8.5
2: assists. How many assists is Giannis averaging? Oh boy! God, LeBron. When you, whenever you read LeBron's stat lines <laughs> out loud, they're just, they're just so stupid. Yeah, he averaged, you know, 30 points, 12 boards, and nine assists on, you know, 60% shooting. Oh, okay. Um, Giannis's playmaking has been really good all season, but the last couple games especially. Um. I will say six assists per game. I've got
1: 5.7 written down.
3: Giannis comes in at 5.6. Let's go. Josh, only 0.1 off. (laughs) The
1: hand is burning, baby. Burn the hand. (laughs) Let's go.
3: We're coming down to the last one here. The final question here. Sweating. Devin Booker and Chris Paul are actually tied. Uh, For the next highest odds at plus 650. But I feel like the MVP would go to Booker if the Suns ended up pulling it out. How many more turnovers does CP3 have than
2: Book in this final series? Chris Paul has more
3: turnovers than Booker? That's what I'm asking you. How many more does he have than Booker?
2: It's uh, Devin Booker's been awesome in this this series. Just what what an absolute monster. Hard to turn the ball over when you're shooting it, <laughs> uh, but 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 certainly like that's what's being asked of him. I'm not even like Booker's been incredible, and he's he's doing what he can here. Um, I'll say five more plus five. I've got six,
1: and I already motioned it to Robert before the question was even posed, or uh, of course after the question was posed, but before you answered it.
3: Booker, you you brought up a good point. It's hard to turn the ball over when you shoot. Booker has scored 582 points in this final series. CP3 has 18 turnovers. Booker has 13. That Let's is go! five.
2: <laughs> Let's go. Make it Let's stop. Go. Let's go.
1: He had to get it right on the nose and he did.
2: Let's go. This is
1: unbelievable. More oh, performance. It. What a
2: one! Yeah, that was a good one today. That was a very Robert, well done with the questions. Josh well played. That was a fun one.
1: Wow. That was a lot of fun. Great facts. Great execution. We're, yep. the next time we talk, BG, I don't mean to bum you out. The NBA season's going to be over. But to cheer you up, okay. next Sunday, the first Olympic basketball game, fingers crossed as well. And we'll have NBA draft week next week. So how about that?
2: free agency right after that it, it never really stops but a, a little bit of a break would uh would probably be be a good thing for everybody he's
1: honestly. on twitter at b underscore bird we'll talk soon buddy thanks for doing it S-
2: sounds good guys there he goes
1: it's brian geisseker kind enough to join us coming up speaking of
2: you
4: know
1: acc stuff bg worker for acc we've got acc football preseason odds Plus, the most absurd Olympic Village story I've maybe ever heard. Keep it here on The Drive.
0: A regular little chatterbox. Already talking a mile a minute. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports.
1: This week in the grades, we're going all over the map. Big night in the Graham household tonight. Bachelor heating up. Bachelorette, excuse me, heating up. We'll do the Bachelorette Minute tomorrow. Then we're going to be live in Charlotte Wednesday and Thursday for ACC kickoff, the ACC Football Media Days. Really excited about that. But without further ado, we do the great.
0: Every week is a test for your favorite sports teams. We
4: don't need no
0: education. Who passed the test? If one of y'all says some silly ass name. Who dropped the ball? I don't know. Josh Graham has the answers. I think you're very condescending and a know-it-all. Hey, teacher, leave them kids Time for Graham's grades. A
1: through F. Let's start with the good first. A. Courtside fans in Phoenix. Robert, there are three different places we can take this conversation. LeBron, do you think his primary purpose for being at the finals courtside was in fact to support his friend Chris Paul or to do one of two things? Know that he's going to get a mention on the TV broadcast with Space Jam, dropping the day before or to make sure he works his tequila into the building with the brand showing underneath his chair knowing he's going to get photographed knowing he's going to get seen on television
3: I mean it could be all three right it doesn't have to just be one I think that's like a win 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 situation
1: what is LeBron telling his wife Hey, I'm going to this game to do X. What's the first thing?
3: Hey, baby, I'm going to go watch Chris play and uh, promote Space Jam and have my tequila under the seat like that.
1: How do you think the exchange went getting the tequila into the building?
3: Was there any issue in doing so? No. LeBron came in the back, man. He didn't come in the front with the fans. Like he, He drove in the underground entrance or whatever to the arena, and ain't nobody checking LeBron. You know what I mean? He could be smoking a cigar, maybe a not-so-much cigar, and nobody would say boo to him.
1: Yeah. See, I've been known to walk through the back door into games and entrances. They still check you. So nobody's checking LeBron. He could have brought anything and sat at courtside. That's
3: what you're telling me? I I don't think you and LeBron come in the same back door. I don't think anybody's checking LeBron.
1: (laughs) Second courtside fan of note Did you see the gentleman flashing how many $100 bills he decided to pull out of the ATM machine? They look crisp. Did that guy get robbed on the way out of the building?
3: Uh, We're talking about Phoenix. It's not like Brooklyn. How stupid was this for this gentleman? I mean, you're sitting courtside. like You might as well get a couple pics of you flashing your money. Like If you've got it like that, if you could sit courtside at a finals game and still have all those hundreds, flaunt it. Go ahead. Why not?
1: Last courtside fan of note, Adele. She doesn't really do a lot of public appearances. I found it strange she was at the game right behind one of the baskets, right where Giannis had that and-one dunk at the end. It turns out here's the rumor, Robert. Rumor has it. Adele is dating LeBron's agent, Rich Paul. There are pictures of them together. Adele, by the way. The glow-up is real for Adele. Apparently just got out of a divorce, so the next album she's gonna drop probably going to be fire. Maybe the greatest breakup artist song songwriter we've ever heard. Like... In terms of breakup songs, I don't think there's anybody that tops Adele. I know Taylor Swift had her run, at least recently. But Adele, Rich Paul, power couple, I'm here for it.
3: I feel like a, I think Adele, their like divorce happened in like 2019, so mm-hmm. I don't know if it's like gonna be a delayed heartbreak album or what. But
1: oh yeah, I've, I mean it takes time to put an entire album together. Apparently she's she's put one together. Well,
3: that's good post divorce. But, but also, uh, just like the Drake, I don't know if you've heard Child's Play before. If your girl is sitting courtside at an NBA game, and especially in the finals, she's definitely with one of the dudes on the team. So, like, her being with LeBron's agent, that counts as a dude being on the team. You don't sit courtside unless you know somebody that knows somebody.
1: Yeah, and clearly LeBron, or Adele knows somebody, and that somebody is Rich Paul, and I'll reiterate it once again. You love to see it.
3: C. Oh, I thought we were on B. We took so long with that one. That's my fault. B.
1: Space Jam 2 is a movie. Staying with LeBron. You guys still haven't seen this thing yet.
3: It's not really a movie that I would go out of my way to see.
1: Can we just talk about the folks, though, crushing this movie? Trying to break it down like it's Citizen Kane? Let's stop with that. And then I see it's very easy to tell who on social media is younger than 21, 22 years old. People saying, uh, why do we need the references to Casablanca? Like, nobody knows what this is. Was it really
3: Casablanca? Yeah, it was Casablanca. Remember you said it was like a 1940s that's movie? That's right. That's crazy. You it nailed was, it. It was crazy.
1: Casablanca. Why is there a reference to Casablanca in here? Like, no kid is going to get it. Yeah, it's for the adults. And if you don't know what Casablanca is, that's not on Space Jam. That's on you. Gosh. Gen Z, man, I tell you, my biggest issue I have with Gen Z, I'm jealous of Gen Z in many different ways. But the thing I have with Gen Z is this idea that there was not a world that existed before you were born. And guess what? If you don't know Casablanca, I'll reiterate, that's a you problem. It's not a Space Jam issue. I I love the references. I thought it was a lot of fun. Jim Valvano. Daffy Duck was running around the court like Jimmy V. Daffy Duck also threw a, a chair on the floor with a red sweater on paying homage to Bobby Knight. There there are a lot of great moments in here. If you're a basketball fan, you'll love the movie. It's a B. It's a B for me. C. Calling shark attacks negative encounters. Robert, I just want to let you run away with this one because it's become pretty big news in the last week that you have animal rights activists saying, it is disrespectful to sharks to have every shark encounter labeled as a shark attack. So they want all encounters to be discussed, labeled as just that, encounters. And if a shark were to attack, don't call it a shark attack, let's call it a shark negative encounter.
3: I mean, if you got attacked by a shark, I think you're entitled to call it whatever the hell you want to. Because it's not like, in most cases I would imagine, it's not like a bear attack. like Or like uh, any other wild animal. Like, you're just chilling in the ocean. Unless you were out there just swimming in a puddle of blood, I doubt that the shark attack was your fault. But it also, with people talking about this, brought up a fantastic statistic that I love about shark attacks. And I'm probably going to bring up at any party, anytime talks, if somebody talks about Shark Week. Uh, you are 141 times more likely to be bitten by a New Yorker than you are by a shark. <laughs> uh, in the last three years, there have been. Uh, Did you get that from Portnoy's book? No, I just saw it on Twitter. I didn't. But is that in his book?
1: I don't know. He has a book about sharks. That wouldn't surprise me. Oh, He's... that
3: he has a kids' book about sharks. That's right. Uh, in the last three years, there have been four. Uh, in the eastern or East Coast, 45 shark bites. In that same period of time, there have been 6,339 bites uh, given out in New York. So, like I said, 141 more time, more likely to be bitten by a New Yorker than a shark.
1: Right. So it's a C for me because I get it. Yeah, not every encounter is a shark bite or a shark, or excuse me, a shark attack. Maybe we need to label this a little bit better. But on the other end of it, if you do get bitten, call it whatever the hell you want. Why are we really? constraining this part of the lexicon, this type of language. So, it's a C. D. Colin Murakawa's final round fit. The final round was an A, there's no question. But the shirt, being and Adam Gold, we're going back and forth on this. See if you guys can find it. Cole, Robert, I just want your thought on the Adidas Polo Morikawa. Chose to, wore yester- uh, chose to wear yesterday excuse me, proper grammar while holding up the claret jug. I think it looks ridiculous and I'm speaking from the perspective of a fashion icon that I am. This, I'm not a big fan of the polo shirt. I think I could see this a decade from now, maybe even five years from now, we go back and we look at the highlights of this major championship and we're wondering why the hell did we think this was okay
3: so the the blue with like the patches and stuff yeah yeah i i don't hate it i think it looks pretty cool it's a d for me man what is it what's the what's so bad about
1: it's it? it's just very loud and there's a lot going on and
3: it, what do you want him to wear? a solid color you golf purist no, it's just he can't wear red, or everybody's gonna compare him off, to Tiger Woods.
1: It, it comes off as hey, it, it looks like the type of shirt I'd imagine like a mid '60s, early '70s man would wear when he's on the golf course, He'll just screwing around, out man. with like a like a bucket hat on. That, that's what I'm picturing when I see that. Can we get the F sounder in here, just real quick? We went long on this. F driving back roads during that downpour on Saturday. You let me know if I'm a bad fiancé for this. So we were riding
3: yes. to, Mar-
1: to Martinsville, Virginia to see some of Sarah Bradford's family, and we had just a wonderful evening. It's about an hour drive from Winston-Salem. So we were riding in her car. Usually, it's if it's your car, you're the one that's driving, but she doesn't like driving at night. She also hurt her eye a little bit in Colorado, so I thought, okay, I- I'll drive home. I'll drive home. You know, we're we're low on gas, though, so you get the gas. Okay. She said, no problem. I'll get the gas. But we rode right into this torrential downpour, Robert, and we were underneath an awning at a sit-go on back roads that was covered, but I didn't see or didn't know that the wind made it so the rain came in sideways. So when she got out of the car, within like five or six minutes, she got drenched. And then she gets the gas And the first word she says when she gets back into the car, ugh, whatever happened to chivalry? Am I a jerk driving in the storm, which I thought was a nice thing to do, but not getting out to pump gas? This was a conversation that we had where it's like, apparently in the past, it was chivalrous to pump gas. It wasn't really a womanly thing. I did not know that.
3: Something I learned. You you didn't know that You're supposed to pump the gas for the girl? You didn't know that was a thing? I didn't
1: know that was a thing.
3: All right. Now you know it's a thing. Um, I'm not going to say you're a bad person for not pumping the gas for her. But also, you can't be like, I drove in the rain, so you should have to stand in it. Like, you can't do the the equaling thing. Well,
1: it was her. Hey, if you drive, I'll get the gas.
3: Well, sure. But that was before it was a torrential downpour, I'm sure.
1: That's true. That is true. You're bringing up valid points. So,
3: if, if it was just your girlfriend or a girl you were like...
1: I want you to grade me courting. A through F, my performance here, how bad or good it was.
3: Uh, D. Uh, I don't think you failed, but I, if this was like a girlfriend or just a girl you were taking to dinner, sure. Make her pump the gas. I don't care. Make her earn her due. But like, you're going to marry her.
1: I'd argue the other way around. If you're already engaged and you're committed, you're not not trying to You haven't signed
3: on that dotted line yet, dude. And you (laughs) haven't been practicing your dancing. So, I mean, you don't have a (laughs) lot of sweat equity built into this fiancé thing.
1: (laughs) Uh, You might be right. And I'm sure she's listening right now. Coming up! Something we haven't seen happen since Duncan and Shaq. Here on a Monday drive.
0: What? 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 This is wrong. You shut up! You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports.
1: Robert Walsh took issue with my list of movie villains, arguing that if you have redeeming qualities, that if people like you or think that you're cool... You can't be seen as one of the five best, like Darth Vader or Hannibal Lecter or the Joker. And the reason we were thinking about this, this week, the 13-year anniversary of Heath Ledger's depiction of the Joker in The Dark Knight. So Robert has put together a list of five movie villains he feels tops my list. And we'll get to that after we chat with our friend David Glenn, who joins us now. And you can read his stuff, Chapelboro.com. He had a story at the onset of these finals on Chris Paul and how he was recruited at North Carolina, of course, but maybe not as aggressively as he probably should have been recruited. Without giving away the entire story, and I encourage a lot of people to find that, chapelboro.com. how close do you believe CP3 was to becoming a Tar Heel?
4: Well, it's great to be with you again, Josh. I hope you're doing well. Here's one way to put it. From when Chris Paul was old enough to think about basketball, all the way through a trip to Chapel Hill in his junior year of high school, all he talked about was wanting to wear the Carolina blue and represent the Tar Heels at the college level. So you're talking about 16-plus years, or at least whatever portion of that, he was old enough to talk and communicate, Uh, but things went awry. Things ended up well for both parties, right? Chris Paul was a superstar at Wake Forest, now in the NBA, and the Tar Heels did get that national title with Ray Phelps as their point guard in 2005, with Roy Williams as their coach. But Matt Doherty, who's remembered for a lot of negative things in that three-year tenure, did botch the Chris Paul recruitment, and we dove into a lot of those details. What is
1: the biggest mistake Doherty made?
4: Not offering Chris Paul a scholarship, as crazy as that sounds. And I know you know that story well because you are the voice of sports in that part of our state especially. And Chris Paul is from West Forsyth High School right there in Clemens, North Carolina. Um, This is a guy who had a little bit of an unusual journey. You and I knew who LeBron James was when LeBron was probably, you know, the end of his freshman year of high school. We might have even known about him before that, right? Right. Chris Paul didn't even play varsity at West Forsyth until his junior year of high school. So, of course, he wasn't famous before then. Uh, So his recruitment really blew up in his junior year, and that led to the Tar Heels kind of being late to the game. But Wake Forest, 15 miles or less from his home there in Louisville or his family's home, uh, swooped in. Skip Prosser at the time was their relatively new head coach, And when Matt Daugherty said to Chris Paul on a recruiting visit to Chapel Hill, hey, would you and your family be willing to pay your own way for a year as a walk-on, and then we'll find a scholarship for you after that? Uh, That was enough to alienate Chris Paul. He says today he has no hard feelings. But just imagine, one of the greatest players that our state's high schools, Josh, has ever produced I mean, I know Michael Jordan's on that list and James Worthy's on that list and David Thompson's on that list and others, Steph Curry. Chris Paul's one of the best, wherever you'd like to slot him. And the Tar Heels asked him to walk on. And Chris said not only was that a slap in the face, even though he has no hard feelings, his family could not have afforded, he said, a year of paying their own way to Chapel Hill. So that made the Tar Heel option off the table in Chris's eyes as a high school junior.
1: David Glenn with us here on WSJS Sports. You had a story I hadn't heard before. You mentioned that being around here and being ingrained in the triad, you hear all the Chris Paul stories about his recruitment and going to Wake Forest and his love of the Tar Heels as a kid. I did not hear the story until I read what you wrote at Chapelboro.com that Skip uh, that Matt Doherty eventually did come around and offered Chris, Yeah. but then immediately after he got that offer, he called Skip Prosser to tell him <laughs> he was going to be a Deke.
4: Wasn't that an amazing story? And, and for those trying to process all this, just imagine Chris is having his breakout season as a high school junior. He had told all the associated coaches, you know the rules, Josh. They're not dramatically different from today. You're not even allowed to sign officially with a school until your senior year of high school. So it's not that Matt Doherty hadn't offered by the point Chris Paul could finally sign somewhere. At that point, he had offered. But Chris Paul's averaging 25 points a game as a high school junior. He's taken West Forsyth to the state semifinals, and he said he had been alienated again by the walk-on suggestion. But when Matt Doherty finally came around, and for those wondering, Matt Doherty thought that he had already committed all 13 of the scholarships, there is a 13 scholarship limit in the men's sport of men's basketball then as there is now, and he was trying to forecast, well, does he have an extra scholarship for Chris? He didn't think he did, hence the walk-on suggestion. But I think when cooler heads prevailed, and you say, well, somebody will probably transfer between now and then, or somebody will uh, otherwise depart early between now and then, NBA or otherwise, uh, he finally said at the end of Chris's junior year, hey, the Tar Heels have a scholarship for you after all, if you're interested. And Chris Paul said, he told me that that moment, just knowing in his heart that he was good enough to play for the team he dreamed of playing for, and that their coach finally came around and extended that scholarship offer, that gave him some kind of peace of heart. It did not make him go back to his childhood dream. But, yes, it was such a jolting moment when Matt Doherty offered. Chris says he hung up the phone with Matt Doherty and immediately called Skip Prosser and committed to the Demon Deacons. And that is not a story that you're going to find on Wikipedia or probably 99.99% of all the things ever written about CP3.
1: He's on Twitter at David Glenn Show. He writes chapelboro.com from time to time. He's also going to be hosting the Pickskin uh, preview later. Is it this week, yes. the Pickskin preview, or is that in the future?
4: It is. It's this Friday. Yeah. It's an event uh, at the Embassy Suites in Cary, North Carolina. Mac Brown of the Tar Heels will be there in person. Dave Doran of the Wolfpack in person, of course, David Cutcliffe of the Blue Devils. And you know the climate here in the Triangle. They also have Coach Oliver from NC Central. They do have Mike Houston from ECU. So it is billed as the only event in our state that has all five of those head coaches in the same place at the same time. I ask them some football questions as the master of ceremonies. We give a lot of uh, money to student-athletes at the high school level for college as a part of the bill Dooley chapter of the national football foundation, it's one of the strongest chapters in the entire country. There are anywhere from 500 to a thousand people at these annual pigskin previews here in the triangle. So I've always been a part of it. This year I'll be the master of ceremonies, and I'll be up there on stage having fun with those five coaches, and, we, and that is this this Friday around lunchtime.
1: That's a very cool deal, and we hope to catch up with some of those coaches too when we're at ACC kickoff in Charlotte later this week. Football is nearing ACC football preseason odds were released today. Spoiler: Clemson's a big time favorite. Lay three hundred seventy five dollars <laughs> down just to win a hundred if they ended up winning their seventh <laughs> wow. ACC title. It, it's overwhelming. North Carolina has the second best odds at ten to one. If you were to lay a bet down on the Tar Heels, you know, if gambling were legal, David Glenn joining us here <laughs> on uh, in the Triad. What do you view to be as we see that COVID vaccine has become like the central topic at SEC Media Day and seeing how many teams hit the threshold of eighty percent vaccination. Six of the fourteen SEC teams have, according to Greg Sankey, that's become the central topic point going into this week of media days across the country. What do you think is going to take center stage when we get together in Charlotte in a couple days?
4: Well, that's one of them. You're going to hear a lot about that threshold and how ACC schools are going to manage things. You're also going to hear about what we're only less than three weeks into this new version of college athletics when it comes to the definition of amateurism. So the name, image, likeness policies that kicked in on July 1st have changed the way coaches have to do their jobs, or even more specifically, how these athletics departments are doing their jobs. Remember, Josh, for two years, the NCAA had formulated a plan for how to deal with name, image, and likeness. And then at the last second, they freaked out and thought they were going to lose a lot of losses, and they abandoned their two-year plan and basically said, hey, as long as you're not paying players directly, as long as these players aren't being paid for performance, like if you throw three touchdown passes, you get a $500 bonus from Bob's tractors. Now, that that's still not permissible, but almost all other things are permissible. You still can't offer something as a recruiting inducement to your school, and boosters are not supposed to do that either. But this is a brand new world, and every coach is going to be asked a lot about name, image, likeness. And as you know, we truly have more transfers than at any time in the modern history of college athletics. So that transfer portal, which is even more active in men's basketball, at least percentage-wise, you know, percentage of players, not the sheer volume of players, because football has 85 scholarship players or more right now. Um, but those three off-the-field things, I think, will drive the conversation. Um, And as you know, you get into some goofy things as well because (laughs) these these coaches sometimes don't mind when the conversation strays beyond football.
1: We'll see what happens in a couple of days. I've been known to do some goofy things from time to time. DG, it's good to hear your voice. Good luck with the Pickskin preview on Friday. And I hope we can catch up sometime soon, buddy.
4: Sounds good, my man. Keep up the good work. There you go.
1: You as well. That's David Glenn joining us on WSGS Sports. Robert, I like to be transparent on this show. I was distracted on the second half of that interview just thinking about who's going to be on this list of five villains that you have that you believe better qualifies for top movie villains, better than Darth Vader, Hannibal Lecter, The Joker, Michael Myers, and Hans Gruber...
3: Yeah, and should we quantify this again in case people weren't listening in the first hour? Like, you, you had a list, and I don't think there's anything wrong with your list. Right.
1: You didn't. You just took issue we have different, with how likable some of these villains are, and you believe that if you're a villain, you shouldn't be likable.
3: I, and they just shouldn't. You, you should hate them, you know what? Because, like, a, as a mirror, they act like your hate returns as love. You should
1: be mad after we're done with our list because you don't even want to hear about the people These people's that are on names. List. Despicable, no redeeming qualities. It, I understand what you're saying. It's a differing definition. So let's get to your list and we can assess afterwards. Let's uh, have the distinct voice get involved as well because he gets paid by the
3: word. Do you want my honorable mentions here or before one? Let's do them no, before we'll one. Get,
1: yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get to the honorable mentions after the fact.
3: Okay. Number five. Uh, In at number five, a movie that both of us enjoy, I've got J.K. Simmons' uh, character Fletcher in the movie Whiplash yes. and I kind of liken this villain to a Devil Wears Prada where it's like oh my boss hates me oh my boss hates me they're making it very hard for me and you, in the Devil uh, Devil Wears Prada you could argue well it's because she believed in her she saw something in her and she knew that she would succeed under that immense amount of pressure I, I, kinda, I, I think this guy's cool I don't feel that way about this guy at all
1: like when they're grabbing drinks and he gives the speech about the worst thing you could tell somebody is a good job I think I'm actually, well, I think I'm with you, JK7.
3: But when he's doing the on beat thing, the scene that's probably famous for this movie, he's that's like. That's not my tempo. One, that's not my tempo. That's not my tempo. Music people have broken down that scene. He is on tempo. The dude is doing it just to break him. Oh, yeah. Just to, and at the end of the movie, so it's like, okay, it's this uh, fight or flight moment, right? Where he's like, here's the song, and Andrew doesn't know the song, Ugh. right? In that moment, Ugh. I hate J.K. Simmons so much because this kid, like, busted his ass to get here, right? And you see him uh, underneath this pressure and the scrutiny of the professor It's is just a lot, and I, I can... Find people in my lives that were like that, that maybe didn't have the best intentions for me, and that pressure was just part of the 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 fun for them, you know, watching someone squirm.
1: That's number five.
3: Number five. Number four. Uh, I have Miss Trunchbull and the parents from Matilda. Oh, wow. The parents in Matilda, Danny DeVito, very hard to find him not likable, but he does a fantastic job of you hating him. Uh, whether it's his used car dealership where he's like, hey, we're running these miles back. And Matilda's like, that's not, that's not. And he's like, he I don't. Play that.
1: He's an unbelievable actor. He, like, he does movie, not get the
3: credit he deserves. Gosh,
1: Big Fish. Another A, another one. Danny DeVito role where I didn't like Danny DeVito much.
3: And the whole line, and you can hear it in OutPrecise the guys. I'm big, you're little. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm right, you're wrong. And there's nothing you're going to do about it. That line right there, I feel like every kid who maybe had—not that this is me—had oppressive parents or somebody that held them down just because they were in the seat to do that, that draws that ire, that, oh, I could just come out of this TV and squash you, little man. Uh, so I really and Miss Trunchbull too. She uses her power. She makes the fat kid eat all the cake. She hammer throws the girl by her pigtails. Maybe a little too funny, but I I like the because she doesn't have redeeming qualities, right? She was a jerk. She stole her house. She's using that against the nice teacher. Uh, so Miss Trunchbull and the parents from Matilda are four. Number three. Uh, this one's really hard for me because at some point the dude is cool because he's such a, a an athletic feat, but Ivan Drago. Uh, fighting Rocky. Wow, Drago is
1: fantastic. I can't believe I didn't even think of it. It almost, I think, addresses, well, I think it does address the question that Geisinger asked. Hey, are there some we could do in sports here? Ivan Drago, he seems like a real person. It's, that's,
3: Wow. And they, u- they use it perfectly. Like Nobody likes Drago. From the 80s where it's USA versus whoever the access power is at the time. They use that perfectly. They make the guy look ruthless. The fact that he gets to kill... Uh, if he dies,
1: he dies. Uh, You're talking about Apollo Creed. Uh,
3: the fact that he gets to kill Apollo. like The only person that I feel like gets more heat for dying in that movie is Mr. T killing Mickey.
1: They like, also didn't have to kill Apollo Creed. Like, Why didn't you just put him in a coma? You could have used him later. Right.
3: They didn't have to, but I think it added to that, like, guy, I hope Rocky can it's do true. this. And it's at true. no point in there do I feel comfortable saying, like, Rocky's the favorite. Yeah. Like, Rocky I, can beat this guy.
1: I get it's a movie, but I just felt like Rock. it's a great, great point you bring up. I just felt that Apollo Creed was going to crush him.
3: Number two. Uh, this one for me, uh, me and Cole talked about this off air a lot. And I think Disney does a really good job of drawing the line in the sand between uh, the villains and the heroes. Like Mufasa and Simba and Scar. Uh, Ursula and the Little Mermaid. Sleeping Beauty and Maleficent. Like, there are no redeeming qualities for the villains. But I think there are. there is one villain... May not be the most watched movie, may not be everyone's favorite, but there's one villain that stands head and toes above everyone, and that is Claude Froyo from um, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Really? This is the one we're going with? I'm serious, because this is, if you read the actual book, uh, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, the dude's a jerk, but I think that comes across better than just about any other Disney villain. Uh, He takes advantage of this guy who's a little bit slower, right? And not only captive or uh, captures him inside this like sanctuary. He makes him like for lack of a better term, slave labor. Like I he, thought
1: Ursula was a lot worse.
3: Yeah, but she's kind of too Ursula. cool, right? No, like I she never can Ursula j- turn into cool. this giant like never thought Ursula woman. was cool. No,
1: I hated she Ursula. She gets the
3: cool songs like this dude's song
1: Not even a top three song in Under the Sea, or uh, in in, uh, Little Mermaid. Poor
3: Unfortunate Souls, dude. That stuff bangs. But this dude, what song does he sing? Nobody knows, because it's scary. Anyway, that that was my number two Disney Who is number one? Number one. Joaquin Phoenix as Commodus. Wow. Because I could choke the absolute life out of that
1: Incest, killing your family killing russell crowe's family it's not even like and then there's the scene where he goes to try and save the day with his family and then you see them kind of hanging there oh my god commodus is unbelievable as a number one i'm shaking to my core right now just thinking about how bad commodus is
3: because like he's not he couldn't beat uh the main character in a fight stabs him like he's he's standing behind like all this power and all this like uh i'm I'm standing over you so like commodus was my number one that was super easy for me just because at least as someone i hated as a villain uh that i i could not make excuses to like
1: Uh, commodus is unbelievable so recapping your five real quick
3: uh fletcher from whiplash jk simmons Uh, miss trunchbull slash the parents from matilda Ivan Drago at three, uh, Claude Froyo in Hunt Back in Notre Dame at two, and Joaquin Phoenix as Commodus. Great list that you put together. What do we got in uh, Ticket to the House? How a Sausage Truck Almost Messed Up the Tour de France. That's next on The Drive.